Hello, welcome to another episode of Consider This Question. I'm Drew Moss, and I get to host today. I have with me in the studio today, Jim Johnson. I have Ryan Vincent and a special guest today. We have Brent Prentice from Eagle Heights Church here in town. Give him a quick little standing ovation before we get going. Um, and Brent, Brent, real quick, how long actually have you been at Eagle Heights? I'm going to ask you that. Uh, eight years in... Uh January, eight years as the pastor, and then about 11 and a half, 12 years as a, a member. I was a member three years before I was the okay. pastor. Okay. You were at BCM, right? Yes, that's yeah, correct. Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Okay. Awesome. Glad to have you here with us today, Brent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to, and, and we'll explain a little bit of why Brent's in here. I think he wants to be from. on because, you know, we did a podcast a little while ago talking about what we think of area churches. Yeah. And I think we spent most of our time discussing Eagle Heights. Yeah. yeah I, I so wanted, I wanted this to, is his way of leveling the score. That's right. In a minute, I'm going to get that in somehow. I'm going to, I'm going to cut in and confront some of the things you said. Yeah. We've, okay. I'm... I'm now nervous. No, no, it was good. I listened to the whole thing. It was very good. Very well done. That's awesome. Cool. Um, Today we're actually talking about uh, this question, what do we think of the shack or maybe what is the controversy surrounding the shack? For for those of you who who don't know what that is because you're seven or (laughs) younger... Uh, the the Shack is a book that came out in 2007. Actually, I was surprised how early it came out. Um, William Paul Young and a couple actually uh, ghost writers who I think kind of helped with some of the theology doctrine of it. And it just uh, a year or two after that took off and became this New York Times bestseller and uh, really struck a chord with a lot of people as it dealt with issues of God and suffering. How can a loving God kind of coincide with a world of suffering and pain and, and really hit a lot of people? And, and so it became extremely popular. And then as things often happen after, afterwards, it started to become somewhat controversial. Some people wondering about some of the theology in it, and and just recently the the book has turned into a movie that's been released in theaters, and so we're starting to get some questions from our own people. What what do we think of it? Is it something I should go see? Is it something I should avoid? And and so we thought we we probably ought to take some time to to talk about that a little bit. So real quick, just kind of off the bat, who has read and who had I'll just kind of full disclosure I have not read the book and I have not seen the movie so I'm just asking questions that's less of a stance on its theology and more because anytime I see a movie with the word inspiring in the trailer I mark it off my list and I'm like nope uh, so blind side uh, seven pounds by with Will Smith and the shack I'm not seeing any of them uh, the pursuit but, of happiness uh, pursuit of happiness nope okay it's, yeah uh, inspiring or touching or moving I'm like I'm good still um, magnolias so nope uh, notebook uh, nope <laughs> dang <laughs> yeah literally nothing <laughs> if, Hey, I'll, I'll give you this. I'm consistent. You are consistent. I'm consistent. So real quick, I know, Jim, you read the book, read the uh, book. a while ago, a long a time long ago. Time ago. Yep. I want to say, two, it was when they booed Mark Driscoll for having a comment on it. At Catalyst. At Catalyst. I yeah. said, okay, I need to read this because I think I might hate it. Yeah. To be honest with you, I yeah. literally, when they booed Mark Driscoll, and it was just even the mention of his name, he wasn't even there. Yeah. But they made a comment that Driscoll had critiqued the shack, and everyone booed. And I thought, okay, I need to read this book so I can hate it too. That's, yeah. that's, if I'm being full disclosure, <laughs> yeah. that's what I did. So you read it, and then that was a while ago, but you, you watched the movie this week with some of the staff, including Steve and Ryan, Paul. And Paul, guys, okay. yeah, that was it. So you guys just watch it. Ryan, you watched the movie then? Yep. I also, uh, I read the book. So the books became really um, like the national bestseller. What, what, what like produced the bestseller 
side of it is that uh, Lifeway decided to one day make it their or one month make it their book of the month, and so it got all this airtime and all mm-hmm. this advertising. And so before that, I read it. So I, because it wasn't yet considered like a national controversy, I didn't quite, I, I wasn't as alert maybe yeah. to what was in it as I perhaps should have been. And quite frankly, I thought the book was so boring, I didn't finish it. I mm-hmm. thought it was Dan Brown's. <laughs> a, a prequel. <laughs> I thought it was something that having to do with where the Illuminati lived. Yeah. In the shack. In the shack. In, the, in, the in shack. shack. <laughs> in, in remote Oregon. I, <laughs> and uh, So far from Rome. I was yeah. looking for Tom Hanks throughout the movie, and I could not find him. Like Ron Howard's brother. <laughs> and Brent <laughs> has... <laughs> Brent, you, you would tell me, you've, you've read the book, right? Right, I read it in the last two weeks, okay. actually, because uh, I, I expounded the book on Sunday. So we actually started a short sermon series called The Trinity, with the impetus oh, cool. being the, the book itself. So we wanted to use the book to actually talk about the Trinity. So, um, yeah, so I read it in two weeks, in Very the last cool. two weeks. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Which is because you're probably even going to be coming with some, even a, a different angle, talking through some of the Trinitarian implications of it and stuff like that. So Yeah, maybe. We'll okay. see. Cool. Um, let me. Th- so we'll get into. I, w- I want to ask you in just a little bit. What you know? What do you appreciate? And what do you? What would you kind of critique? But maybe let me just kind of start with this. Any initial thoughts as you read or watched as to say why you thought it was? Why you think it's such a become such a big deal and stuff like that? I'll start with you, Brent. Kind of initial thoughts after kind of some of your reading through it. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I talked to people early on. I can think of three or four conversations I had where people were just like, "Wow, this book was just so helpful." so helpful in helping me to understand forgiveness in a very real way or it helped me to understand God. A, a lot of what I heard that was bothersome to me was, you know, I had a really bad father growing up, and so this helped me to see God in a new light, God the Father, and helped me to love Him and helped me to overcome some of those things. And so um, that was uh, a lot of what I heard from the beginning, and, and that kind of got me to thinking, okay, what's what's in this book yeah. and that kind of led me on the journey to begin to read and read into it and read it and check into it and read interviews about it and that sort of thing yeah. so, so listen to what he just said which is interesting because brent said you know when i heard people talk about how this helped me understand god and this helped me understand god he said that concerned him and that's the opposite i mean i share that i share that exact same you know mm-hmm. we share a lot of the same positions right um so i want i want you to explain a little bit why I bet you our, our our listeners are going. Wait a second. Why would you be concerned that this book is illuminating and is helping people understand? Gave people a better picture. Gave of better God people the a better picture. Of God. Yeah. Why why are you so? Why why does that concern you? And I want I want to hear what you have to say. Well, because I I, I wonder how, how do you do better than the Bible does? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean yeah, seriously. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think a little bit like you are skeptical of. This is a life-changing thing. Yeah. Why, why does seeing God and mm-hmm. well, I know this is what I'm about to say could be construed and, and misrepresented in a lot of ways, but why does seeing God the Father as a large black woman help you love God the Father more in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, it makes me wonder: What are you thinking God the Father is like? Are you thinking of Him biblically? And you know, is it right for you to take your Father experience and place it on the perfect Heavenly sure. Father, Matthew five forty-eight? Yeah. So yeah, it just concerns yeah. me anytime I see a pop culture kind of thing go, okay, is this a lack of Christian discernment? Um, or is, is your theology completely jacked? Yep. Um, have you read the Bible? Yep. All those kinds of things. That's good. Yep. That's good. And I think it's interesting because most pastors that I meet 
are looking for ways. Have you seen The Matrix? It really explains Christ. Have you mm. seen da, 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 It really explains. I, I heard one time a guy preach a whole sermon on Shawshank Redemption as the picture of redemption. And I'm kind of sitting in the back of the room going, well, that Jesus on a cross thing was not bad either. You yeah, know? Don't we already have a picture? Don't we already have a great movie that doesn't have the Shawshank part but actually has the redemption part? So, you know, I, I share Brent's. Yeah, and, and we, we all do. We and all I don't know if Brent's anyone, I don't even concern. think Brent would say this. I don't think any of us are arguing that those things cannot help augment that that we believe that in, I think Keller talks about the reason a lot of narratives have power is because there are sometimes underlying themes of what God has kind of woven into the universe, redemption and love and those things. So I don't know if we would, I don't think anybody here is saying that don't look to any of those things to find good messages or whatever, but if 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 those are say, if we need those to correct us um, <laughs> rather than the Bible to correct us or those things, that that might not be, yeah. we may not be understanding the Bible properly. Yeah, if, I love, I like Brent's concern I shared. Well, yeah. let me just say this real quick, and then maybe Ryan will say something, but I, I, I appreciate some of the outcomes of the book. I don't like how we got there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and if you got there wrongly, uh, I, I wonder um, if you are in the right place, really. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. what God are we worshiping? Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I um, I I would enjoy I I can enjoy anything whether it's good or bad if it forces me to sit and think and if I'm doing so with the information of Scripture behind that and so uh, you know I'm watching this movie and I think I'm thinking throughout if you know your Bible this movie isn't going to like unsettle you mm-hmm. if anything you're kind of checking it constantly everything they say you're like oh I know where that's from I know that's from uh, you kind of messed that up but that was close and it's, so it's it's almost like if you come in and you're diligent when you watch it. It can be a good thing to even watch things that aren't right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you come in and you're a little bit, um, this sounds too critical, but you're a little empty-minded when you watch it, and there, that's where I get concerned because then some, some people in our churches can be very susceptible to um, very, very subtle variations of biblical truth that yeah. can lead you yeah. down dangerous paths if they're kind of fed for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. Let me let me start here. Let me kind of move this. You said that they, there can be, you can watch it, and there can be some really good stuff kind of come from it as you match it up with Scripture and those things. So let me let me turn back to you here, Ryan, and ask that question. What what are some things as you watch the movie that you appreciated? What were some good things that you got from it? Um, there was some. Uh, it's complicated. <laughs> there was some wonderful interplay between the persons of the Trinity that really helped me understand um, the unity of God better. Um, and we'll talk about it when we talk about the things that I didn't like uh, a little more because it was, it was complicated. But there was, there, there's three figures that are portraying the three figures of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. And um, even the way that the movie kind of, um, they'll start to all of a sudden speak in unison. Mm-hmm. If you kind of catch what the writers and yeah. the, I'm assuming the directors are trying to send in that message, yeah. when all of these people are saying the exact same thing at once, there's this, there is this, we see multiple personalities in the Godhead, but we see this unified person, this unified mm-hmm. being. And so, again, if you're very careful and you bring a biblically informed mind to the table, that can be edifying. And yet, there are, it's, you know, Scott Irwin likes to talk a lot about um, when you eat some, or when you eat uh, watermelon, you eat the melon and you spit the seeds. And, and so that's where you have to be careful. There's a lot of seeds in that movie that need to be spit out. Yeah. You, don't, you don't need to eat that. But there's some, there's some good stuff in there, too. Okay. Uh, Jim, I know you came back and you were kind of 
pleasantly surprised. I was oh, really, I was that, surprised. That, to I'll hear be from honest you. with you. That's an understatement. I mean, again, I read the book <clears throat> in in uh, response to Brent. Brent's concern has always been a concern of mine. When someone says that there's something outside of the Bible that has given them a clearer understanding of who Jesus or God or the or redemption is, I just like, wow, that's crazy. Um, so I read the book and I just never really connected to the book. And so, and I was reading it with a very critical eye and thought that most of the critics were not being consistent. And I'll say this real quickly. were not being consistent in terms of their love for the Chronicles of Narnia and their hatred towards the shack. Um, and I would just say, all I'm asking you to do is be consistent. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book. I've read them all to my kids and I, didn't feel the need to correct every time C.S. Lewis, who butchers the atonement, who does some really goofy... It's a children's story. So let the analogy just kind of be the analogy and let the Bible be the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at certain elements, I wanted them to see Jesus as Aslan. And in other elements, I wanted to see Jesus as... Or Aslan as a lion being portrayed as Aslan... Or as, as Jesus by C.S. Lewis, who was also a human writer, right? Mm-hmm. Not divine. So... That was the part. So I kind of just left the book there. And so I'm now going into the movie realizing I had a lot of the same feelings. Um, uh, didn't feel like I needed to attack the book originally. And so I just kind of left it, left it alone. So now I'm going into the movie and I'm really praying. I was, I was, uh, you, you gave us, or Steve actually sent the article and you said, uh-huh. you need to read this. The uh-huh. one thing I loved that he wrote, and it was either in the shack, heres- is it heresy part one or part yeah. two? I can't remember yeah. which one it was, but he this made is this, one of the authors. One of the authors, yeah. kind of on their on their shack website, he actually answers the questions about the about the heresy piece. And the one thing I thought was interesting was, I think it was in this. He, he basically describes the one person that cannot learn is the one whose mind is already made up and keeps their eyes closed to the evidence. Hmm. And I've read that, and I thought, man, I really don't want that to be me. I don't want to watch this movie. And we were we were joking around about how, man, if it goes after five o'clock, I'm putting in for overtime. I mean, I'm not yeah. doing, the, you know. So we were joking around about that, and I, I really did. I felt like like God was saying to me, "Hey, listen, like don't be that guy." <laughs> and not that I have something for you in this movie. God was not saying that, yeah. but God was saying, you know, in your own character, I need you. If you're going to speak about this, don't be that guy. Okay, so I'm I'm going into the movie, and uh, I I thought it was excellent. I thought it was excellent for what it was maybe trying to accomplish with a host of, as Ryan described, caveats. Um, I, I, here's what I liken it to. It's a knife, right? It's a knife. And if I were to see Brent with a knife, I'd go, oh, what are you doing with that knife? And he would say, oh, I'm cutting up a fish that I just caught or I'm doing this or that. And I wouldn't think anything of it. I see a little child with a knife and I say, hey, 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 sweetheart, can I, can I have that knife? <laughs> I think you could hurt yourself with that. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the, the, the really the looking at the movie, I, I thought, man, I, I did. I thought, I want to sit down. I want my kids who are now all older. I want to watch this movie with my kids yeah. and talk about how this movie has impacted, yeah. has helped explain some things. And so the one thing I'll say, um, and then I'll hand it, hand it back over to somebody else, is this. There was something about me thinking through the intentional relational connectedness between Father, Son, and Spirit and Jim Mm. that was moving to me. Mm. The way that the the movie slash book, okay, and I'm I'm really kind of stuck in, I can't even go back and remember all that the book did, to be honest with you. But what the movie did was it gave me a very real and tangible description of what I believe the scriptures teach, which is Father, Son, and Spirit working in complete unison for their own glory and for kind of a a love and appreciation 
for me mm-hmm. that comes out of a love and appreciation for one another, meaning with the, in the Trinity. Yeah. Now, again, uh, Scott asked me this question. He said, are you reading that into it from your biblical understanding? And I actually said, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I would argue this. Because I have a better understanding, a more mature understanding of what the Bible really is, Yeah, I'm able to watch that movie and see things in that movie that I don't even know if the author's intended per se, but I can overlook some things, recognizing as humans they can't fully explain the way the Trinity works yeah. or is better than the Bible does. And I, so I can give them a pass a little bit, right? Yeah. On this, this, and this. Um, but some of those relational elements, I, I just, I loved the fact that the book in a very short time was able to say, okay, I need you to go spend time with um, Jesus now. And so he sends the dad, I don't remember his name, Trevor or Mike or Steve or whatever. Mac. 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 Mackenzie. It's my son's <laughs> name. <laughs> it's a unique boy's name that I yeah. named my second child after, and I forgot his name. Okay. But I loved the fact that it was like, okay, Mackenzie, now you're going to go off with the spirit today. And now you're going to go off with, with Jesus today. And each of them had a very kind of a unique work to do. And I, I, I thought it was fun to think about. I've mm-hmm. always struggled with the competitive nature that exists within the church, not within the unity of yeah. the of the of the triune God. There's almost like, yeah, I feel like the Holy Spirit's getting robbed. And I love to point out, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Spirit's role is this and Christ's role is this and the Father's role is this. And there's there's just perfect unison. And the movie helped me see that. Yeah. Yeah. And they were even it was, there was this subtle thing where Jesus or the Son he's never named Jesus in the movie I don't think I don't, yeah, I don't think so. he's always called the Son mm. but he's the one who escorts Mac to visit this person called Wisdom yeah and I thought that is an, that is an incredibly biblical idea that wisdom is mediated through Jesus <laughs> the yeah. wisdom of God Himself right sure cool. sure and, thought, and the, ah. the, the the creative empowering element of the Spirit yeah I thought was pretty legit um, so anyway so those are some things that I liked it it gave a very real and tangible expression yeah. of the the, the d- definitive relational aspect of God, yeah. okay? Which I found in the scriptures. Hear me, I found it in the scriptures. It's kind of like when I saw the passion in a different way, I was convicted of just the ugliness of sin. Mm. Now, the Bible describes that better than the passion ever did. And without the Bible kind of setting me up, yeah. I never would have appreciated it mm-hmm. in the movie The Passion, yeah. okay? But the Bible set me up, and the and the and then I believe the Lord used the passion yeah. to 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 make it like real or tangible yeah. in another way, not not yeah. in a better way. I would just say in another way, and this did that. Now, here's what yeah here's if what I think sense. you're here's That's, what I think you're saying is I think you're saying where, where you were able to benefit is rather than reading the Bible through the lens of the shack, you were able to watch mm-hmm. the shack through the lens of the Bible. Yep, and totally. and it kind of created a little bit more concrete picture yeah. of the truths that you have learned from the scriptures. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. I think yeah. that's cool. If I did not have that, I literally would be rather depressed with um, with a, a father God that wouldn't care about gender or, or sex. Yeah. Um, seemed rather uh, rather witty, right? I mean, if, yeah. if I were to look at the, uh, the, how, the, how the movie book describes God, the yeah. father, witty and kind of jovial and, and sweet and yeah. uh, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's one dimensional. Yeah, and it has to be. I mean, honestly, I don't even complain about that. Yeah. C.S. Lewis's God is one-dimensional. Tim Keller's God is kind of sometimes one-dimensional. Yeah, all what? interested in my <laughs> what? Hey, I'm sorry. Your oh, human boy, flourishing. Your I'm human out. flourishing <laughs> is all I care about. But uh, just to just to make clear what I think Drew is getting at, like the Bible, Jim Jim's understanding of Scripture 
didn't show him how he could appreciate all of the shack. It showed him what in the shack he could appreciate. And there's a big mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. And so you left, I mean, you can walk away and saying some of that was good, some of it not. Yeah. Cool. You know, what I was just sitting here thinking was, um, this question popped into my mind. You know what's dangerous? Everything without a biblical worldview. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. Christian radio, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Christian bookstores, sure. very, very dangerous. dangerous. I told our people on Sunday, beware of Christian bookstores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm serious. I'll throw my wife under the bus. She used to go into Hastings and move um, a certain pastor from Houston's books to the fiction section. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) I never stopped her. Yeah. And then Hastings closed. And then they closed. (laughs) No, I I, I like what you're saying. Yeah. Very good. Brent, would you add, before we kind of move to things you critique, anything anything you might add to these guys about what what you kind of appreciated from the book? Well, the, the book... It, and it seems to me fundamentally is a theodicy, um, mm-hmm. which means it's trying to resolve how a good and all-powerful God can allow evil and suffering yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting is Mac has had a bad father situation. Now his daughter has been abducted. I'm, I'm giving it away now, right? Yeah. Um, spoiler. And, and, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. The, the daughter's been murdered, the six-year-old daughter. You know, I have a four-year-old daughter. I resonated with that. And then we find out also, if we do some background reading, that uh, William Paul Young had a very bad father experience, was yeah. abused mm-hmm. as a young, at a young yeah. age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, other things that I won't get into. And so, to me, he's kind of vicariously living his life out through this character, Mac. Not, not completely, not in mm-hmm. totality, but he's trying to resolve this issue of how God can work with evil or allow evil. And so it's a theodicy. He's yeah. trying to solve the problem of how just God can mm. deal with evil in the world. So that, that's helpful. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you, the, the scene in the cave is one of the best um, apologetical challenges to that particular question. Um, I, could, I could literally <laughs> see that being like a snippet. I don't know how much of it I don't know how much of the backstory you would need, but I, I really, when I was when I was thinking about, I don't remember even thinking this through the book, but when I was watching it in the movie, just the way that they reenact that and say, okay, so do you want to sit on the throne? Do you want to sit in the seat yeah. of judgment? Can, can you handle being and the can judge? you can you handle being the judge? That that scene was actually really really good at answering the apologetic theodicy type question, and I I thought that was a within the small set I thought it was excellent. Good. Um, Brent, I want to come back to you with what, what, what concerns would you have over, over the book as you've been reading through it? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the things that I, I tried to discern um, in, in getting even behind the book was what is the intent of the author? What is he trying to accomplish? And this really gets at the heart of, of, of um, my bigger concerns. And when I started doing some background reading, it's, it's clear that he is trying to change our minds about God. As a matter of fact, I thought about this this morning. He is a modern-day Marcion. Hmm. He doesn't like um, the God of the Old Testament, this this old curmudgeon bearded idea of God the Father, and he doesn't like the judgmental, wrathful God of the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament to some degree. And so he tries to recreate a, basically a softer version, a more what he views as a more loving version of God. And when you read his interviews and you read some background on him, he makes he makes no uh, – he just says, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to change people's minds about God. And so he delivers us in this fictional didactive narrative that's a theodicy, kind of a new way of looking at God. And so his, his theology – I told our congregation on Sunday, look, yes, it's a fictional work. I get that because that's often the, the rebuttal you sure. get. It's, it's a fiction. Let it go. Well – but guess what? People are consuming it 
as this is the way God is. And he wants to say that. As a matter of fact, I read one of his interviews with, from Christianity Today, and he said, I, I'm out. I'm out to change the way we think about God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I'm sure you all would say some other things, but that, that's my concern. He, mm-hmm. he wants to change our minds. And he sold 20 million copies of this book. <laughs> Right, and it's yeah, back so it's, on. It's, so it's, it's back on. It's number one on New York Times bestseller list. Didn't know right that. now. Yeah. Didn't know so that. anyway, That's good. no, I like that. I I totally agree. Yeah, Ryan, what about you, man? Um, well, I'll speak from the perspective of the of the movie. Um, I thought that the movie was well. First of all, I I love the the call that um, when some sometimes we want to defend something when it get when it's wrong as well. Hey, remember it's fiction. But then whenever we think we get it right, it's like yeah, I'm trying to teach you something. All right, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, um, and we've and it's kind of like whoever's whoever's talking to me, I'll change. It's fiction or it's didactic. And um, but in the movie, I thought that they were having a real difficult time um, with the portrayal of the Godhead. My first concern was, and I know that this is a, I know that we have a, a video screen and we have to put something on there. You can't just film spirit. Yeah. But I was very concerned that the Father and the Spirit were embodied. Like that, I think that, again, that can be very confusing to a, an immature Christian, that there are, there's only one incarnate member of the Trinity, and so I have three human beings representing the personalities of the Trinity, and I think that that can be a very disturbing idea. Um, the other thing that, and so I, I think that they're bordering on tritheism, and now here's where they're inconsistent, and they, they run it back into Unitarianism. They're talking about um, Mac is criticizing the father for saying that he's unjust for killing his son, you know, kind of the divine child abuse stuff. And, um, and the father reaches over and the, the, uh, to kind of assure him that you don't understand, and the camera zooms in on the father's wrist, and the father's wrist has holes in it. Mm. And, um, and what they're trying to communicate, and this is where we go back to authorial intent, what they're trying to communicate is that the father, too, suffered in the yeah, process. Right. Yeah. But the father did not die on the cross. Right. And so that yeah. very much bothered me. That scene just was probably the most disturbing one in the... And later on, they never draw a lot of attention to it, but later on you see the holes on the spirit's wrist as well. Mm. And so all three members, apparently, according to this, were hung on a cross. That's not in the book, by the way. Okay. The, the spirit it. having... Just, you just noticed. Yeah. I, I noticed it whenever the, the spirit. The father is, does. I, can't, yes. I couldn't there, remember. There's at least two explicit mentions of the okay. father, and I mentioned that in Sunday in the sermon. I'm like the father is not the son. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, te- the God, God Himself, in His essence, cannot die. It is, it is impossible, logically impossible. Right. And so the father and the spirit were not crucified on the cross, and uh, and that is one of the great mysteries how Jesus dies and they don't. But right. Um, I thought it was just an area where the movie got... It was trying to prove a point, a good one, that the father yeah, suffered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it got very sloppy with the portrayal. Yeah, and I think is, it could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. This is tough. I mean, like any... We, we've just talked about that. All the analogies you use when you try to describe the Trinity yeah. are going to fall short. Yeah. And, that's, yes. and that is hard. When you put something on screen, it's going to yep. have to be a picture. It's going to have to be an analogy. And yep. cannot fully do it justice. But that's that's a yep. good kind of... Well, because we walked out of the theater and Ryan made that comment. And I, I agree. Right. Totally agree. We, we can't be modalists. We can't. So I'm with you. Don't know how as a human being <laughs> I can relate that. I mean, I tell my kids very similar stories about God and who he is. And I, I say things probably in incomplete ways. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I'll go back to the idea of going, I'm, a mature person would be able to kind of sort through that. Mm-hmm. An immature person might be confused by it. Um, I liked it to be honest with you. Mm. Again, 
not I liked it for all people and would recommend that everybody understand that the Father too was crucified. No, no, no. None of that is doctrinally sound. Mm-hmm. But they were what, what I think he was trying to say was, which I think is scriptural, is that the father, the, the accusation against the dad was, you know, you even killed your own son and you didn't care about him, was the accusation. Yeah, right? yeah. And the father, through this symbol, is pointing out, don't tell me I did not suffer. It didn't yep. cost me it anything. It didn't cost it didn't, yeah. me anything. Right. And and so in the end, we've got, we have to try to find an analogy or a metaphor to do it. Um, it comes with danger and it comes, yep. with, it comes with problems. But to be honest with you, as I'm sitting there, I mean, that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, mm. recognizing, <laughs> my least truly favorite. recognizing yeah. its danger. But I, I was rightly, I was able to interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was able to say, no, there is something. I loved when, when, the, when the different characters in the movie would begin to speak and they would say, we. Mm-hmm. It was just this we-ness. Yeah. Now, I could argue, you know, in Scripture, it doesn't really use the word we very much. You know, it just, Jesus doesn't use the word we all the time. And okay, so... There, there is, there is anti-biblical, there is extra-biblical, and there, or there is uh, unbiblical, mm-hmm. and you know, and then there's biblical, and anti-biblical is which is clearly wrong, and then there's just kind of this unbiblical or extra-biblical where there is a little bit of some room, mm-hmm. and um, and and that's the piece. I, I think the the critiquing part, the part that I, I guess I, I really worried about the movie, um, and it's more of the limitations of what the movie or the book could not even do. Okay, so I don't, I don't even know how to fix this is that it feeds, going back to Brent's concern, it feeds um, a view of God that is somewhat one-dimensional and that, that I would tell you, you almost cannot find in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets more complicated for me. Um, whenever I hear people say, you know, I love the book of Job because, you know, God comes alongside Job and he just aches with him and he just... Have you read Job? Yeah, have you read that's, the, they, they didn't finish the end. Yeah, yeah. Finish that's, it. I mean, honestly, and think of this, okay? Job 122 is one of my favorite verses of Scripture this last few weeks. And it says, And all that Job said and did, he did not sin by accusing God of wrongdoing. He did not sin by accusing God of wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And the movie perpetuates a, uh, a wrong attitude that exists in our church, which is, and you've heard me guys go off on this in, in sermons and lessons, don't tell me God disappointed you. Or if you do, add because I am very ignorant of what God has promised me. If you want to say God has disappointed me and that's my wrong understanding of what God has promised, then I'm with you. Yeah. You're right. You're wrong that God has disappointed you. Um, and the movie perpetuates that. In one of the things that I read by one of the authors, and I don't think it was, I don't think it was, uh, it was, it was Young that did it. He made this comment that everybody sees God as a tyrant. Mm-hmm. And I want to go, not anymore. Like, I think that stopped in 1712. And right now, the popular view of God, now the, the popular make fun of caricature of God is a tyrant. Mm-hmm. But the majority of my people at Sunnybrook, and Brent, you can tell me if, if Eagle Heights is different, is there is still this kind of this weird caricature of God. But the majority of people, if I say, what is God like? He is loving and caring. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really, I mean, he totally gets that I <laughs> sin. And he's totally okay with me being mad at him. And I can pray to him any way that I want. And he just, he's kind of like my grandmother, only not as mean. Yeah, Like that's his, their view of God slash Jesus sloppily thought together. Mm-hmm. And I really thought to myself, this might be someone else's agenda that is growing a little bit out of step with maybe what our culture needs to hear. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of like William Williman preached a sermon one time describing ripping on dead poet society. And he rips on it by saying this, to stand up and say we need to think for ourselves 
as like some kind of a new and creative idea is ridiculous. We all think for ourselves. If you want to actually be a rebel, say, no, 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 think like scripture. Now, that would be a rebellious thought. Mm. In, our, in our university, to stand up and go, we need to think for ourselves, is by no means novel. Yeah. This, the, the, the movie did not portray a popularly novel way to look at God. It was unbelievably predictable mm. and predictably small. Okay? Mm. Yeah. And so I would say I, I liked it. Yeah. But if it really wanted to speak to me, like, give me a picture of God that doesn't surprise me. Oh, really? Like um, um, uh, an African-American woman. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. Um, or an old Indian man. I didn't see that one coming. No, I totally saw that one coming. Or a God that is loving and caring and makes good brownies. Totally saw that one coming. Yeah. Um, so to me, the movie failed in offering a more biblically robust answer to the question, why did I let your daughter die? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, can I add one more? Sure. Um, universalism. I don't know if it was in the movie, this concept of uh, universal redemption, but that's big in the book mm. uh, where everybody at the end kind of gets saved after God. And he doesn't judge punitively, but he judges reformatively, and he burns impurity and sin out of us. Interesting. I just wanted to throw this in. In 2003, Young presented at a Christian think tank a 103-page paper on universal atonement. And I don't know if that came out in the movie, but he is clearly advocating for everybody comes out in the wash in the end. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that is hugely. I think dangerous. they. I think the movie tried to sidestep it a lot. The a one lot. mention, the a one lot. mention of wrath. On, on, there's a scene on the porch where Mac is talking to the father, and he's he's talking about how the father deals with wrath, and the father said basically, in, in you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jim. He, she. Um, <laughs> hard for me to get rid of the biblical way of describing the father she says um she says like i'm not wrathful in the way that you think basically sin is its own punishment yeah and i just thought oh that's very dangerous see that's partly true it is you read the psalms that's partly true but that's not the whole truth yeah it's it's just a a snippet of of the biblical picture and so what i would give them is a pass hey i know it's a movie and i know it's an analogy and i even know you're it's like reading keller I have to stop and go, okay, this isn't Bible. Mm-hmm. I can't let this totally shape my view of what scriptures really are. I can't. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I have my own youngs, so to speak, um, who are actually more biblically accurate. Do you, what, is, what is the quote that you described that somebody had of Keller that I thought oh, was, I and, just... and by, by the way, we all love Keller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What, totally, what, was yeah. His, what was his line? Well, one of the things, Brent, buckle up. What was the, what was the line? <laughs> Keller, well, first of all, I'll just say Keller had a critique of the shack in which um, which he said that Young does not give an accurate portrayal of God, of a God of wrath and of God of, of justice and all those things. And I just said I thought that was interesting because that's some of the same critiques that have been leveled at Keller's that is reason for God. <laughs> I read one guy, um, I think it was Tony Ranke, who said, um, it is no dreadful thing to fall into the hands of Tim Keller's God. <laughs> that, like it's just not not something to be scared. You know what I mean? And but Keller has. Well, but wait a second. You mean human flourishing? Yeah, yeah. yeah we need more human flourishing. Keller, Keller I'm has use his, the word human flourishing one more time. Um, yeah, and so Keller's big thing is he has an audience, right? That sure. he's aiming towards, yep. and he's trying. And it's not that Keller denies that no. guy's. In fact, Keller, when he when he sees in the shack that there's not enough. Um, a bigger picture of God with anger and wrath, he'll he'll point it out. So Keller believes in those things, um, but it doesn't make it into every chapter yeah. of every book he writes and those kinds of things. And so I think that 
Um, I don't know. I just think that's interesting. But the one 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 thing that I, where I really liked, and go, I'll go back to the whole idea of God being an African American woman, and people are like, okay, what is that? Is that is that bothersome? Sure, I guess at some level, I get what you're saying. The comment that is made in the movie about that is when Mac says, "Boy, I didn't expect you like this," and the underlying point that the author appears to try to be making is, yeah, I have a way of coming in ways that always surprises people. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, you know, again, it's scripture, and I don't want to say, okay, so the scripture does this, therefore we can. No, no, no. Scripture gets to do whatever it wants. I don't. But, I mean, we didn't expect for him to come in, in, in ma- and manifest himself in a bush, and we didn't expect him to come in the quietness, and we didn't expect him to come even in a manger. In, in a manger. And we didn't expect him to come. And I think even the book of Hosea kind of describes this. You know, I mean, I, I just, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if God came in such a way, not in contradiction to what the scriptures teach. Yeah. Okay. But in a fullness that would still catch me off guard. Like I guarantee mm-hmm. you, and I, and I want to stay open to that, which will always be in complete alignment with the scriptures, complete alignment with the Holy Spirit. And yet, incomplete under the prerogative of God, and He might come in a way mm-hmm. that would still like blow me away. Yep. Yeah. And I and I, and the, and the book made me think about that. The book made me think about those ways in which I have God predictably figured out in terms of every way in which He would come. Yeah. And and th- and that's wrong for me. Mm-hmm. And I need to stop and go. God is God, and He is going to come in ways that, that may be completely disarming. And unexpected, yeah, you know, but it, in but in line with scripture, yeah, yeah. and it's fair, yeah. and I think it's trying to teach that God has a feminine way of relating to people in terms of compassion and nurturing, and then later on when it's time for Mac to go get his daughter's corpse and bury her, it, God is now this this kind of old weathered Indian man, and it's a, and the line in the movie is <laughs> you're going to need a father for this, and it's <laughs> I think it really is saying like that is the one area the difference between the female and the male portrayal of the father. That is the one area where the, the movie tried to take this bigger approach to who God is, yeah. this multi-layered approach. Mm-hmm. Everything else was kind of flat and shallow. Let me uh, let me finish with this question. I, I feel like you've kind of answered it in little ways throughout. When we talk about how should Christians handle material or media like this, like the shack, how should we approach it? I mean, you guys have said some great stuff about trying to see it through a biblical lens or eat the watermelon, spit out the seeds, take in the good, but be you know, where are the bad? But if you could, as we kind of sum up here, if I don't know, if, if in a sentence or two, do you feel like there's something, if you could kind of leave people with, this is how I would approach this, or this is how I would watch this. Is there I- I- anything you would say there? <laughs> I got you. Uh, I, would right, say, so. I would say these things are best um, ingested in community, biblical community. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I, I almost couldn't go on Tuesday whenever the rest of the guys went. I was going to have to go Wednesday by myself, but I thought, ah, I got to move I got to move some things around so that I can go with these guys cuz I just I don't it's almost like whenever I know that I'm walking into a potentially hazardous situation where some discernment will be necessary, I really like to have more godly men and women around me to to discuss it. So, this is why, you know, I always say the books that I've read over the last, you know, 5-6 years, the only ones I really remember are the ones that I read with other people and had many good discussions about because then I'm not left to my own ability to discern, but I have, you know, Jim's delight for this shack. But then I have, uh, you know, Brent's over here. He says, I have some concerns too. And I, yeah. I need to be able to take in both of those and they really help me. So in community is 
if you're gonna if you're gonna go i i don't know that i would call the shack a great movie like a must-see movie but i'm not all that interested in movies kind of like you especially inspiring ones especially inspiring ones they drive me crazy so i'm not saying oh you should go see it but it was also touching sure yeah sure it was that um (laughs) but all that i am now going to be commenting on everything drew does in a particular (laughs) way (laughs) stay tuned (laughs) drew moss inspiring Siskel and Ebert call him touching. Right. <laughs> Jim doesn't have a problem with the shack, but he has a problem with Drew. Uh, yep. Yeah. All right. Um, Brent needs to say something. Brent, anything, anything you would want to leave us with? You know, I, I think, uh, as somebody said in Jonathan Edwards' day, there was a lot of talk of justice and the wrath of God, and that was very real to people. And today, as Jim said, you know, we're love love and i think we've just misdefined love in a lot of yeah, ways yeah, and, yeah. and we're an emotively driven culture we're yeah. very emotionally driven and i i wouldn't discount emotion and i think that's what this movie does there was a part in this movie where there was the uh, embrace of mac with his father you know kind of that oh. mystical moment i teared up i was reading it. i was like oh Lacey, my wife's not watching you know i mean i'm serious <laughs> yeah. i get emotional yeah. about those kind yeah. of father-son things yeah. um but just because something brings emotion and my heart flutters doesn't mean it's truthful and we've got to let truth dictate to our feelings not feelings dictate the truth it's good good. i just you know i love the we've been using this a lot as a staff whenever we get some good stuff and we begin to critique it at some level and then we begin to ask make sure that the bible is the true filter of all things right um and so when we get a new way to talk about repentance and believing from 3dm we love it and then we love to say, okay, now what part of this lines up with Scripture? And so let's make sure that we go back and we keep Scripture at the forefront. And then this becomes a tool to augment or to explain um, what the Scriptures even teach better. And I like going back to what Brent says he's concerned about. If this movie helped you understand God in a better way than Scripture does, you need to stop, hear what you just said, and dial it back a little bit and realize I've got the filter on the wrong item. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is what filters everything. It filters my emotions. It filters my understanding of truth, because it is truth. Mm-hmm. And I would say you need to keep that in perspective. That's why I thought, okay, I want to I want to go back and I want to watch this movie with my kids. And whenever I hear somebody at the church say that they want to go see the movie, I want to go, well, I want to go with you. <laughs> you know, And not because I'm f- afraid. It's not like, I'm afraid you're going to be a heretic and burn in hell forever. It's not that. Um, it is a much deeper sense of, Man, I, I would even like you to enjoy this movie for what it can give. Mm-hmm. And then I'd like for you to be aware of, of, of some deception that already exists in all of our hearts. And let's let Scripture, let's let the, the, the true triune God speak and then move from there. The other thing I would say is to everybody, um, be discerning in all things. Here's a statement by, uh, by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson actually says this. When the imagination of a writer and the passion of a theologian cross-fertilize, the result is a novel on the order of the shack. This book has the potential to do for our generation what John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress did for his. It's that good. And I don't disagree with him. Because I, I read the Pilgrim's Progress, and I had tons of problems with it. Hmm. I read C.S. Lewis's work, and I had tons of problems with it. And so, uh, to me, it just goes everywhere. I mean, I just I have tons of problems with all of these different things. And it doesn't mean that I don't read them or I don't appreciate them. It's just, man, the Bible is unbelievably better. Hmm. And it needs to filter John Bunyan, and it needs to filter C.S. Lewis, and it needs to filter Tim Keller, and it needs to be the filter for Jim Johnson. 
So whenever I say something on Sunday and you're like, man, Jim really helps me understand God better than the Bible. Okay. You got something. You need to be a little more Berean. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys. And thanks especially to Brent for coming and hanging out with us this morning. So seriously, do we have him back? Sure. I I think think so. so. We'll vote here. Wait, let's vote here. Well, no, but here's the thing. He was kind of quiet, but I think that's him. Yeah. He's nice. Which is like he wasn't he wasn't which voting is so hard for the shack, which is in his favor. Yeah. yeah. He's insightful. Mm-hmm. I mean he yep. said some things. I'm like, wow, Thank this guys. now I know everybody goes to you. See, I, I had this I had this fear in coming. I know, no. Yeah, I mean literally what how your church now I know why our people are leaving here and going to <laughs> Whatever, whatever. I think it I think it goes more <laughs> the other way. way. It goes more the other way. I had this Listen, fear that when, you were gonna call me in and, and it was gonna be three you three guys against me. Right? <laughs> and we're gonna go after the Baptist because we know he boycotts everything. <laughs> It's actually, almost always Jim against us. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, actually, honestly, I'm going to say this now, and Brett knows I, I believe this. Man, when we when we talk about there's there's other good great churches in Stillwater, but we mean this when we say, man, we love Eagle Heights. Mm-hmm. We just love and we love Brent, man. We love their call to discipleship because it comes from Jesus. Um, so if you need a church to to visit this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we would, we'd love to have you at Sunnybrook, but I'll tell you, Eagle Heights is a great church. Yep. You guys are at the corner of... Uh, Jardo and Lakeview. Jardo and Lakeview, yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, you need to... They're, they're, they're good, godly brothers and sisters so, in Christ. Uh, so you. If, you, uh, if you are at Sunnybrook currently, but you really like nice, quiet, and insightful, Eagle Heights may be the church for you. And, and if you love the shack, don't come to our church. Yeah. <laughs> then Jim's your man. That's right. Jim is your guy, not me. Oh, this is complicated. All right. But I love you guys. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time.